Welcome to Life Church of Mobile's audio podcast. We hope this teaching will challenge you in any season of life you may be in. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll enjoy. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. I'm going to grab my water here. I have lifted my voice this morning and made myself happy. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house today? Yes. Praise God. I want to say a, a joyful celebration to all of those who celebrated in water baptism this morning. Can I get somebody to get this? Uh, yeah, go ahead and give God praise. Would you take that top off of me? Thank you. Uh, you know, that needs to be celebrated. It needs to be acknowledged. You need to make a big deal out of it. And uh, thank you, babe. Uh, so... If you did that today, family, celebrate with them, acknowledge it, make it a special day, mark it on your calendar, let them forever remember uh, this time and this day and this special season. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. We have so much. You know, if we went home after we sang that one song, he won't, I don't know the name of it is, but about him not failing, now we would have already heard the Word of God so powerfully. Because there's so much there, but it, it's so confirming of the message that I feel like I have in my heart for you today. And uh, in Jesus' name, I just cast that spirit of heaviness off of you, <laughs> off of your family, off of your future. I said, I cast that spirit of heaviness off of you and off of your outlook. Amen? And uh, last week we started... <clears throat> Uh, a series that I'm going to be taking a few weeks to get through called Wise Decision, Wise Decisions in, in Troubled Times, and we're specifically talking about the book of Jonah. But it's going to take me a few minutes to get back to the book of Jonah again today because I want to, uh, I, you know, if you weren't here and you didn't hear it, I qualified some things that I'm, I'm saying today, and I don't have time to go back and qualify them again. I, I encourage you to listen to that. But how many of you know, and boy, that song was so expressive, that even though we live in troubled times, everybody say troubled times. We, and we do, we live in troubled times. You know, we talked about last week, inflation, recession, shortages, crime, uh, storms, hurricanes. I'm not denying any of that. And, uh, you know, when it comes to our nation, listen, let me just make this brief, brief uh, declaration here. Uh, I saw a quote this week that John Adams said, and I think it is so applicable in our day. John Adams said, there are two ways to conquer and enslave a nation. One is by sword, the other is by debt. So let's, let's be awake. Can I get a church that would say, yeah, let's be awake? Everybody say, let's be awake. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices. But we've got, this is October, Hallelujah. Boy, I tell you what, I can't wait to get that pavilion built because I guarantee you, if it was out there right now, we'd be out there this morning. We're going to have such a great time. We'll be announcing some specific things in a, in a couple of weeks here. But uh, we only got three months left in 2022. So I just felt the Lord speak some things to me, and we're going to talk about Jonah and these lessons, uh, making wise decisions in troubled times. But we've got three months left in 2022, October, November, December. And so here's what I'm believing for the rest of 2022. Three months, one quarter. That's a quarter, right? Yeah, make sure my math is 
Everybody say divine acceleration. Things can happen faster than they normally have happen. God is a God of divine acceleration. And when He turns it around, He can turn it around, and He can do it quicker than is humanly possible. And so I'm believing that the promises of God uh, are going to be accelerated as we finish out 2022. And... Uh, we're going to, we, we also want to explore some things that God is saying in 2023 in this series. Now, and you know, some people are prophesying judgment. And listen, I talked about this last week. Our, our nation, we have made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And if you look at it in the natural, we're certainly worthy of judgment. But at the same time, I am not going to dismiss the goodness of God and that fact that God is the God of the turnaround. And so uh, one says this, one prophesies this, one prophesies that. I, I covered all this last week. But here's what I'm saying. Yes, these are troubled times. But the Lord told me something this week. He said, yes, son, these are troubled times. But I want you to tell my church, these are anointed times. Everybody say, I'm anointed. Come on, I'm said, say it like you really mean it. That's not a prideful thing. Man, these are troubled times, but they're anointed times. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up. And it's going to be by His Spirit. So yes, these are troubled times, but they are anointed times. Because as you draw, here's what I've discovered. As we draw near to the Lord, He gives grace. And this grace will give you energy. In Jesus' name, I rebuke every spirit of weariness, tiredness, anxiety, stress off of you in Jesus' name. I will not allow my life, my family, and my house to be overly distressed by everything that everybody out there is saying. In Jesus' name, the grace of God is energizing. I want everybody to say, I'm energized by the anointing and by the grace of God. God's grace is, is, is energizing. And as we uh, respond to that as a nation, He will move in powerful ways. As you draw near to the Lord, He gives grace. And this grace gives us energy to overcome. So here's what I have decided, and I believe this is a word from the Lord. It is possible to live in a world filled with trouble, but not be overwhelmed by it. In fact, I'm overwhelmed and overcome by the goodness of God. I'm overwhelmed and overcome by the presence of God in the worship today. I'm overwhelmed by His mercy and by His grace and by the plans that He has for us. Can I get an amen? amen. And so even in the midst of troubled times, I am not... That song said so much. I keep going back to that song, but that song said so much with what I feel like God has said. So even in the midst of troubled times, here's what I'm believing the rest of this year and 2023 can be a year of an abundant harvest. Let's, let's amplify it a little bit. How about a super abundant harvest? Abundant testimonies of the Lord. By that I mean I'm not just talking about money. That's part of it. But abundant testimonies of the Lord. Abundant testimonies of the Lord. Watch this. Abundant testimonies to answered prayers and great deliverance. 
Now, we as the church, we receive that today in Jesus' name. We receive that. The prayers that have been prayed, especially over these last two years, are going to be abundantly manifested in the end of this year and in 2023. Somebody say yes and amen. I'm telling you, we can't, church, we can't let the world, we can't let the world determine our focus. And we're not going to do that. So it's going to be a year of abundant harvest, abundant testimonies of the Lord, abundant testimonies to answered prayer, and great deliverance. And you know, you look at the Hebrew calendar, I think it's 5783. Is that right? Some of you that are they're more into this and, and know more about this than me. Uh, that's the Hebrew calendar as the year w- will change. 5783, and I've, I've read about this. That's, I'm not an authority, but I can read and study it. It's a year, they say it's a year of dealing with iniquity. Watch this, but also receiving great blessings from the Lord. It's a picture, it's pictured as a man walking forward, looking forward to the potential God has for us, not looking back to the good or to the bad. And and what I am saying as we end this year and go into next, we are not going to be Lot's wife. Hallelujah. We are moving forward in the goodness and in the grace and in the mercy of Almighty God. So, I am believing that even though we live in very stressful times, and, uh, and, and many would de- de- describe it as troubled times and hard times, here's what I'm believing for, the greatest move of God that the planet has ever seen. Those of you that were here Wednesday night, you know this already. But Wednesday night we were in here praying just... Just, just a, a small group of us just seeking the Lord while the small groups are going on. We're thankful for all of that. But we were seeking the Lord. And I remembered somebody had mentioned to me a while back something about William Seymour, who was a great man of God, who prophesied, uh, I think, uh, involved in the, greatly involved in the Azusa Street revival. You need to study his life. Powerful. But uh, so I, I, I was praying Wednesday night and and, and then I remembered that. And then I remembered that somebody said, and I can't remember who told me, uh, they said he prophesied that a hundred years after his death that there would be a revival that would make Azusa Street pale in comparison. So Wednesday night, I'm thinking about this, and I thought, I wonder when he died. Some of you were here. You know this. So I pulled it up on my phone. He died 100 years ago this past Wednesday night. What are the... What's the... Think about the odds of that. So I just feel like God is confirming some things to us that in the midst of all of this turmoil and riots and chaos and sickness and death... And all of these things that are going on, there are going to be cries out from from those who are desperate for the presence of the Lord, for the goodness of God, and for the kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen? And so I'm believing for the greatest move that we've ever seen. But here's the thing. Our trust cannot be in the systems of man. 
It can't be in this party or that party and this person or that person. The only person we can trust in is our Lord, our Savior, our King, and His name is Jesus. So that's where we're standing. Listen, we read this last week, but I want to read it again because it is so powerful. Charge those that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust, watch this, nor trust in uncertain riches. How many of you know money, wealth, and power are fleeting? They are not solid ground. They are not a firm foundation. Don't trust in uncertain riches. Where? But trust in the living God. Now watch this. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. He is not against us having things. He's against things having us. And especially our confidence and our hope. He gives us all things richly to enjoy, not to lord over us. He said, charge them that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. I'm going to deal with tithing before we get through this story of Jonah. Not today, but I'm going to. We're going to talk about it. You'll want, you'll want to be a part of that because there's a lot of teaching going around. Thus saith the Lord. Listen, listen, listen to Jeremiah. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Excuse my South Alabama, but ain't nobody smart enough to get us out of this mess we in in the natural. Nobody. Your intellect is not that, you're just not that wise. Let the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knows me. No, man, that means to know. That means, that means to have an intimate, ongoing, personal relationship with Jesus that is active in every part of our lives on a daily basis. Not just on Sunday. We cannot live. And when we're in troubled times, we cannot live out of just what we get on Sunday morning. There's no way that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So, as we get ready to make wise decisions in troubled times, here's one thing I want you to understand. For the believer, how many believers are in this house? Wave at me and say, that's me. Money is not our currency. Faith is, trust in God is. Well, Brother Scotty, Alabama Power don't understand that faith in God. I'm telling you, faith in God is what will produce the blessing that we need in our lives. Trusting God is what will sustain us in troubled times. Somebody say amen. amen. So, God never meant, and here is something, man, when we were singing that song, here I am again singing that song again this morning. Dear Lord, I wanted to run up and grab the mic and say, I'm going to preach right now. I can't stand it. (laughs) 
God is, God never meant for us to be our own Savior. Not as a nation and not as a family and not as individuals. He is our good shepherd. And He wants us to live life loved by Him, knowing, what's this, that He watches over us and cares for us in every season. So, here is something that I want us to absolutely exalt in today. And in fact, I tell you what, I want you to say it with me. I will not not live life life as though though my God isn't great. Come on, church. Live life like we have a great God. Talk like we have a great God. Pray like we have a great God. Believe like we have a great God. Our God is great and greatly to be praised. Worship. Worship like we have a great God. Worship and praise like we have a great God who can turn things around in a day. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, your God is a great God. Come on, tell them now. Tell somebody, your God is a great God. Don't live life as though you don't have a great God. Don't speak as though you don't have a great God. Don't act as though you don't have a great God. Don't worship like you don't have a great God. And so here's something that the Lord reminded me this week. Glory be to God. And I believe it's for this season. And it helps us make wise decisions when we know this. It helps us make faith decisions. It helps us make decisions not out of fear, but out of the goodness of God, out of the glory of God, out of faith in God, out of confidence in God. Here's what he told me, I believe, this week. He said, there will be a Goshen for my people. Now, I know some of you are saying, what in the world's Goshen? I am so glad you act. ask. Let's look at it. Are you ready? How many of you know there's going to be a Goshen for the people of God? I'm telling you, Jeremy, there's going to be a Goshen for the people of God. Exodus 8. You know the story? Moses, Pharaoh, let my people go. The word of the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, okay, we'll we'll see about it. And then the plagues come. And every time the plagues come, he hardens his heart. Changes his mind. But notice, the plagues that came, Israel dwelt in Goshen. (laughs) Glory to God. There is a Goshen for the people of God. In this day, in this time, in this hour... And I know what they're saying, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and inflation and you go to the store and you see all this stuff and everything that's going on around you and your 401k is now a 301k and they say it's headed to a 201k. Listen, our confidence is not in the flesh. Our confidence is not in the banks. Our confidence cannot be in the systems of man. 
And when things get tight and hard in the world, there will be a Goshen for the people of God. Listen to this. I will, uh, in Exodus 8, he says, and I will sever in that day the land of Goshen. In other words, I'm going, I'm going to make it a place, a safe place, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies will be there. Moses says there's swarms of flies coming to the end that they may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division. Come on. <laughs> I know some people think this is ridiculous, but I just don't care. He said, I will put a division. Oh, I'm about to run. I got my running shoes on. I will put a division between my people and thy people. How many blessed people in this house? How many excited people in this house? I am believing God. We're going to see things the world has never seen before and we're going to experience the presence of God like the church has never seen before and we're going to be radically, radically separated when it comes to experiencing the goodness of God even while there's darkness in the world. God is saying, let there be light. Somebody give God praise in this house. You need to underline that in your Bible. I will put division between my people and thy people. And you need to hold on to that promise. Even as we're in the midst of troubled times. And in Exodus 9, he said this, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon your horses, upon your asses, upon the camels, the oxen, and upon the sheep. And there be very grievous murrain. And the Lord shall sever, uh, shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. Oh, my goodness. And hail smote the land throughout the land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hell. I want somebody that's got some excitement in their spirit today say, God, come on, say it, God will make a way for us. Now, if you believe that, give him a shout of praise. Yeah. God's going to make a way. Yeah. Glory to God. And while they're saying going under, God's going to be saying you going over. Yeah. Our hope and faith cannot be in the systems of man during these troubled times. And Jonah, is, he, Jonah lived in troubled times. And as we do that, Jonah, listen, as we get into Jonah, Jonah made a real unwise decision, but then he also made some very wise decisions. And so let's look at that, and I'm going to carve this out for the next few weeks uh, on the Sundays that I'll be speaking. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going down to Tarshish. 
So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So let me, let me, let me just kind of explain this a little bit. The call of God came unto Jonah, and, uh, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but he could not see beyond his own prejudice. You know, if you initially read it, you'll think, well, Jonah didn't want to go deliver a hard word. Oh, yeah. He didn't mind that. We're going to see in just a minute. But uh, he couldn't, couldn't see beyond his own selfish desire because, and let me just frame it this way, he didn't care for the Assyrians. He didn't like them. They were Gentile. And he didn't like them. The word of the Lord came to him and said, go and, uh, and, and preach unto them. Go, share the, go, go give them the word of the Lord. And so he, he, he just couldn't handle that God wanted him to go take a message of repentance and mercy and grace to people like that. And so a great storm arises when he goes down to this ship, so he flees from the presence of the Lord. And a great storm arises, and the guys on the ship, they cast lots because they think somebody on here is bringing all this on us. We're going to all die. Let's find out who it is. Well, old Jonah... He actually volunteered. The lots fell on him, and he said, Yep, it's me. I confirm it. Because I fled from the presence of the Lord. And he said unto them, Take me up, cast me into the sea, and so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is, is come upon you. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from... The whale's belly, first of all, Jonah made a bad decision to flee from the presence of God and to disobey the word of the Lord. That's not a good decision any time in your life. But from the whale's belly, he made some wise decisions. Let's look at them. Jonah prayed. That's the first one. We talked a little bit about it last week. We're going to finish it. Unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. I cried, I. And I said last week, sometimes you ever feel like you're going through hell. Jonah said, I feel like I'm going through hell. From hell, from the midst of that, I cried out. And, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. Underline that one. We're going to talk about that. Hopefully get through this one today. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me around about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars uh, was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought my life up from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. We're going to get to that one eventually. And my prayer came up unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Somebody say deliverance is of the Lord. Amen. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. 
He flees from the presence of God because he doesn't want to prophesy because he fears Nineveh might repent and God will turn it around. They are Gentile and he's not excited about this. God is extending mercy to the inhabitants, what's this, of a hated foreign city. You can research this. He was a righteous man, but he was a disobedient righteous man, and he found himself in a place where decisions had to be made. He could have gotten bitter, and many times in hard times in our lives, we become harsh and hardened, mad at God and blame God, recoil and get withdrawn and depressed and isolated. That's the wrong decision. Jonah made a bad decision, but he began to make some right decisions. Make wise decisions in the midst of the storm. And hear me, this is a word for this season in particular. Make spirit-led decisions in every part of your life as we finish up this year and go into the next. Hear me now. Don't just assume. Well, I've been given this much. That's all I'm going to give. Pray about it. Seek God. Hear His voice. Allow the Lord, allow the Lord to direct your decisions on everything that you do. Don't just assume, well, everybody's doing this way and everybody's doing that way and this makes sense to me. How many of you know we need to hear from God? So make wise decisions. Make spirit-led decisions. As you end 2022 and go into 2023. So he prayed. Everybody say he prayed. That's the first wise decision he made. He prayed and he cried unto the Lord. You've got to turn your attention to the Lord. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but I do want to say this. Jonah let his affliction cause him to cry out and to focus on God. God wants our attention. And trouble can be a blessing when it turns our attention to God. Here's a prayer that I'm praying. Lord, let the trouble in the United States of America cause our nation to once again turn its attention to you. Can I get some confirmation up in this house? God may not bring it, but I'll tell you this. He can use it. Jonah was in a situation. Who else could he cry out to? I got news for you. America, who else are you going to cry out to right now? Come on, come on. Tell the truth. Buddha is not the answer. Allah is not the answer. The God that we've turned our back on, by and large, as a nation, is the answer. And He is reaching out like He did to Nineveh, saying, Oh, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. I have a word for you. Repent. Turn around. And watch my goodness be on display. Somebody say yes. Mm-mm-mm. So He turns His attention to the Lord. And here is something that I want you to understand about prayer. Prayer is so essential right now in the season that we're in. It's always essential, but it's so, there's such a powerful anointing on prayer. And here's something I want you to realize. He was in the belly of a whale, but I got news for you. Prayer can't be stopped. Watch this. Jesus went to the cross. They nailed 
his hands and they nailed his feet. But what did Jesus do? He prayed, Father, forgive them. They could nail his hands and his feet, but they couldn't stop his praying. They can do a lot of things to us. They can say a lot of things. The, listen, the government can try to tell us we can't pray here and there. They can't stop us from praying. They might can stop us from publicly being on display about it in certain places, but I got news for you. I could, if, I were, if I could get on a plane this afternoon, I could walk the streets of Washington, D.C., and I could walk up and down those streets, and I can pray. I can walk in this house and pray. I can walk up and down the streets of Mobile, Alabama, and I can pray. I don't care what kind of laws they try to pass. Bless God, the government cannot stop prayer. They couldn't stop Jesus from praying, and they can't stop you and me from praying. Somebody say, yes! Boy, I tell you, the devil fears a praying church. And watch this. They nailed his hands and his feet, and he prayed, Father, forgive them. But here's something that's so powerful. Even death could not stop Jesus' prayer from being answered. Watch this. He prayed, Father, forgive them. And when he took his last breath, he took his last breath, gave up the ghost, and in that instant, the prayer that Jesus prayed was answered on their behalf. Forgiveness came because Jesus bore their sin. He bore their sorrow. He bore their hurt. He bore their iniquity. He bore it. And even as He took His last breath, in, death cannot stop your prayers from being answered. Your prayers will be answered beyond the grave. Your prayers as they are prayed in accordance with the will of God and the Word of God will come to pass. Hallelujah! Even in his death, his prayer was answered because he became our sin so that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Boy, that ought to get you excited right there. How many, how many righteous people in Christ are there in this house today? Wave at Brother Scotty. Wow. They couldn't keep him from praying. And let me just say it this way. They may try to legislate prayer out of public life, but prayer cannot be stopped. Your prayers can and will be answered even after you're gone. But you know, I, I, I remind you of this, and I'm going to move on. Prayer is a posture of humility. When a nation prays, it's saying, God, I can't. We can't. You can. We need you. We, we talked last week about Second Chronicles, if my people humble themselves and pray. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, and produces wonderful results. How many of you know that we need the Lord not just on Sunday? We need Him in our daily lives. I've already alluded to this. I don't care how smart you are. We cannot, listen to me, you and I cannot put ourselves at the right place at the right time 100% of the time on our own. You're not that smart. 
Only the Lord can do this for us. And as we stay humble and lean on the Lord for wisdom and guidance and understanding, we have a promise that He will guide us and He will protect us. To pray is to adopt a posture of humility. It is saying to God, Father, I can't, but you can. Hallelujah. I want you to pray with I want you to pray this with me real quickly. Everybody say, Lord Jesus. Jesus. You better pray this. Lord Jesus, Jesus. we can't protect ourselves, ourselves. but you can. can. We humble ourselves before you. Be our refuge, our fortress, and our God. Surely. You shall protect us and deliver us from harm in these dangerous times. Lead us to be at the right place at the right time and to be with the right people. You ought to pray that over yourself every day. Let me tell you what you ought to do. How many fathers in this house? Wave at me. How many grandfathers, grandmothers in this house? Don't just pray it over you, pray it over your family. Children grow up. They get out on their own. We live in a time when literally, you know, you, they, we watch parents send their kids to school not realizing the, the, the trauma and, and the evil that was going to befall them. Folks, let me tell you something. You can't be everywhere 24-7, but our God can. We can't, but angelic hosts can. And when we pray in humility, it is us bowing our knee and saying, God, I cannot manage every detail of my life. I can't micromanage every detail of my life. But God, you can. I am so dependent, utterly dependent upon you that no one else can take your place. Prayer is the acknowledgement of that. It is saying, God, we need you. Number two, not only did he make a wise decision to pray, but then he says something very interesting, and I want you to give me some liberty this morning for about the next 10 minutes, 15, 20, no. (laughs) He said, I will pray and cry unto the Lord. But then he said, number two, and give me some liberty here, he said, I will look again to your holy temple. Jonah got down in that fish's belly. And just imagine what that had to be like. And he began to think, you know, going to church for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, it wasn't so bad after all. Man, I wish I was back at the holy, holy temple. Going to church wasn't so bad. I will look again into the holy temple. And I can imagine him saying, you know, Lord, forgive me for complaining about how long Brother Scotty preached. (laughs) His sermons really weren't that long. How many of you know it's about perspective? And so what I'm saying, and listen, I want to talk, I'm I'm preaching to the choir, 
But I want to spend a few minutes here with this because of what I feel like and I know in my spirit and what I see with my eyes in the natural. Those of you watching online, get back to church. Some way, somehow, get back to a local body of believers. And let me, let me qualify it. I'm going, I, I know there's, every time, ah, oh, Brother Scotty, I, I know. This, just give me a minute. Get back to church. Get back to a local body of believers. Fellowship with other, other believers. Yeah. Worshiping and praying and preaching. Yeah. Acts 2.1. We've read it and read it and read it. But we've missed something that's important in it. They were all, it's on the day of Pentecost, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Together. Now, thank God, listen, let me qualify. Thank God we have the Internet for people who are limited physically and cannot come. I get it. So that's, if that's you listening, that's, I'm not who you're, you're not who I'm talking to. We love being there for you. You are our heart. You are part of our family, always will be. But I have to say this, 2020 and 2021 unleashed a demonic assault against the church. And some of it unleashed a spirit of tyranny. I get shouted down on that one, huh? And I know I've heard people say, well, let me tell you, brother. You can love God and not go to church. Yeah, you can. You can love God and not go to church. Let me ask you this. What kind of nation... Do you want this nation to be? Where do you want us to go? And beyond that, what about your family? If I gave you the statistics that I read this week about the generations and church and assembling, you would be astounded, maybe not, about how they view it, and about what is forecast for the future. I am, I am firmly convinced that 20, a lot that happened in 2020 and 2021 was absolutely designed to come against the church, to try to destroy it, and if we want to love the Lord and we love the God, let me tell you, I want to talk to daddies. I want to talk to mamas. Oh. Get out of your pajamas on Sunday morning and get your... And let me tell you why. Do you not care about your children? Do you not care about your grandchildren? Do you not care about the example that you're setting? I'm going to tell you what. Children pick up on attitudes. Let me give you an example of this. Two weeks ago, as you know, 
I run over to, I usually will go over to, we don't have a home right now. We have, we're, we're blessed, but we, I go over to Matthews to watch football sometimes on Saturday evenings. And uh, I wasn't even paying any attention to this, and he wasn't either. But I'm telling you, children pick up. They pick up attitudes. They pick up passion. Can I, can I just preach this morning? It's all right if I just get after it. So I went in and sat down. I wasn't even thinking anything about it, Matthew either. And I didn't realize that both of us had a shirt on and had our team emblem on it. We didn't plan it. It just, just worked out that way. Well, of course, Porter, he's, he's five, and he's just blowing stuff up all the time and doing what five years old. You know, was little. Well, Henry, he's more observant. We didn't say a word to him. And in just a minute, all of a sudden, he runs out of the room, closes the door, and in a minute, he comes back out, and he's got his shirt on. He picked up on passion. He picked up on energy. If you don't think, oh, boy. Uh, if you don't think your children don't hear you say things like, well, let's go to church. It's amazing to me. I had never heard, and boy, good old South Alabama, and I love it. It's my home, sweet home. Sweet home, Alabama. But I had never heard anybody say, oh, I have to watch that football game today. <laughs> So what I'm saying is we are passionate about raising football fans, but we're not passionate about the kingdom of God and church. And I'm not against any of that. I'm all for it. Hallelujah. So parents, here's what I'm saying. God help us. Now hear this. This is a solemn statement, but I'm, I need you to understand it. The battle of our day is over the future of the next generation. That's one of the main reasons I'm wanting to build all this out here to, the, to, our, to my right, your left. The battle of our day is over the future of our next generation. Watch this. And over the future of family. There is a concerted, demonic, hellish effort to destroy the family. And as long as I got breath, I will stand against it. And for God's goodness over the future of the family. So I would encourage you, the church is not perfect. No church is perfect. I, I absolutely, and I, I see coaches around here that I've known for years, see this morning. And, uh, you know, we're old school guys. I can call us old school guys, you know, because we, we came up old school. And I appreciate that. And I see some around this room, and I appreciate it. My boys played park ball growing up all through the years. I want to talk about something. Just give me a minute. I never, ever, ever thought I would see a day to where parents are forced 
to choose between letting their children participate in youth sports or go to church. There would have been a rebellion from every family that we were involved with if somebody had said, well, you know what? This Saturday and all day Sunday, there'll be matches and there'll be games and there'll be stuff going on. We'd be like, what are you talking about? We're not doing that on Sunday. I don't know if I'll be able to come. But here's the thing. I have great sympathy for the parents. They're forced to choose. We loved our boys participating in sports. It meant a lot to us. We enjoyed it. It was a great season of our lives. But culture has decided, watch this, culture has decided church is really not that important anymore. Well, I'm going to tell you what. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can I get an amen? Uh, hallelujah. Well, go ahead. If you're going to give God praise, give Him some praise. Let's don't miss weak stuff. And parents, parents, I want you to know when you're put in that situation, my heart, my heart is, is heavy for you. Of those decisions that you have to make because you want your children to be engaged and involved. But you need to pray and make spirit-led decisions. I'm not telling you what to do or not to do, but I'm telling you this. They will pick up on the attitude. They will pick up on the priority of it. You know, the church by definition means gathering. It's a communion, a company, a body, a place where God meets us in others. Now, here's, here's something else I've heard people say, and it's wrong. I am the church. No, you're not. Well, Brother Scotty, the church is not buildings, it's not walls. That's not what I said. To say, I am the church, is incorrect. The correct is, we are the church. I need you, and you need me. We need each other. Come on. Let me have it up in this house. You are here today. You ought to be saying, glory to God. We need each other. So everybody say with me, we are the church. Tell your neighbor, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking to this. I'm going to close this out. But listen. And all the activity that's going on in the world, loneliness is epidemic. People, listen, people will align themselves with things that are perversions simply out of trying to find a place to get accepted. And it, what it is, it's a counterfeit church. Come on now, it's a, it's a counterfeit church. God has designed the church to be a place where the disease of being unloved is healed. And I'm going, I'm sure I'll cry when I'm going to wrap this up because I can't help this. We grow through serving the church. 
the ecclesia, the body of Christ. The more I become identified with God, the more I will be identified with others who are identified with Him. Black, white, Asian, American, you, say, you name it, that's my family. That's our family. And it's great. It's both great and it's challenging. I'll tell you why. Because there can be a lot of hurt and pain. Somebody asked me recently, I was doing a college class with somebody, and they had to interview me, and they said, what is the greatest blessing of being a pastor? And I said, didn't even have to think about it. I said, the people. The people. I look around this room and I see people. And in 2020 and 2021, they laid their head on my shoulder and we cried. And we wept together. We didn't understand everything that was going on. There was a lot of pain and heartache. But we were able to weep together and love each other and pray for each other and be there for each other, even knowing we don't have all the answers, but we can only point each other to the one who does. And if you can see a little bit of Jesus in me and I can see a little bit of Jesus in you, then we'll be better together, Susan. We are, everybody say, we are better together. My God, it's the people. And then they asked me, they said, okay, well, what's the greatest difficulty about pastoring the church? And I said, the people. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Oh. You know, I look back through the years, and let me go back to the other one. Not a single good thing has come my way except through my Lord, my Savior, and the church. Everything in my life right now, I am here today alive, blessed, functioning, sharp mind, young body, youth renewed, energetic because of a relationship with Jesus and because of a relationship with the people of God. I can't think of anything in my life that I have that hasn't come as, but as a direct result. Don't let the enemy rob you of this blessing. We grow through serving the church, but it's great and challenging. Again, they said, what's the hardest thing about pastoring? I said, it's, it's people. Because it can also be a significant source of wounding. And let me just address some people who've been hurt in church. You spend any length of time among the people of God, even godly people, you'll get hurt sometimes. Watch this. Because the power for life used wrongly can be deadly. And I want to say something to leaders. Now, if I could, I wish I could address, I wish they'd invite me, never happened, to address Congress. Because you know what, amen, <laughs> that'll be a, you know, the first thing I would tell them is I'd look at them and I'd say, why don't you love the people more than you love yourself? Why don't you look out for the people more than you look out for you? Oh, 
brother, I'm, I'm telling you what. Leaders are servants. And I don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. But I promise you, I pray and seek God and seek the Word every week so that I bring myself in here and I say, God, how can I wash their feet today? Help me. To wash their feet and to love them because they've been so faithful. They've loved us through thick and thin, through up and down. Leaders are servants, not tyrants. And, church, and, and listen, folks, I know hurts will happen in community. Offenses will come. Jesus said that. But the New Testament vision of a mature community is only possible as we learn to forgive. I can promise you I would have never done it intentionally. But I, I guarantee you, you, you do this as long as I have and you be around as many people as I have. There have been times, there, I'm sure I have hurt somebody somewhere along the way. If that has happened, I ask for your forgiveness. I can promise I would never hurt or wound a person intentionally ever. None of my family would. We would never, never do that, ever. But there are times you've got to realize people operate under the most intense, immense pressure today of my lifetime. And let me just say this. Don't get under condemnation because somebody was asking me the other day about, you know, we have two sons and they both love the Lord. Their families love God for which we are eternally grateful. We take, we take nothing but just grace and, and, and the goodness of God for that, for our, our boys and their wives and our grandchildren. And if you've got that, you need to get on your knees and thank God every day because I guarantee you, you're not smart enough to raise a child in this atmosphere by yourself. You need God. But this generation faces the most demonic onslaught of any generation, and I'll tell you why. This right here. Social media, communication. And I'm giving you some, I'm giving you some practical stuff. Guard your children as to how much access they have and when. But I pray for you. I pray for you that have children, that God will grant you wisdom, guidance, and that you'll make right decisions. Because they are confronted with a system. Watch this, and you can say, you're just an old fogey. It don't matter to me what you think. They are facing a system that is demonically designed to strip them of their faith. Intentional. And that's what it's for. The New Testament vision of a mature community is only possible as we learn to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Jonah got down in the belly of that whale. 
found out he wasn't nearly as independent and self-sufficient as he thought. He thought again about the holy temple, the place of gathering. I want to close with a testimony. We're going to take communion. A couple of weeks ago, I received this, and it's so powerful. This is not about me. I just want you to understand what I'm, what I'm talking about, why we need church. Testimony, this is Friday afternoon. I got this. I was studying two weeks ago when I started putting together this series. Several years ago, this, this testimony says, several, several years ago at the start of the new year, you taught on five I's, letters, words that begin with the letter I, and described how we as Christians should live out our faith. Most of the words beginning with I, <laughs> this is so funny, escape me now. And in parenthesis, she says, I was paying attention in church, Brother Scotty, I promise. <laughs> I want to say to her, I totally understand, I totally get it. I remember me preaching that series on five eyes, but I just remember two or three of them right now too because it was a few years ago. Don't look at me with that holier-than-thou. <laughs> if I gave you a quiz on that right now, I was paying attention in church, I promise. But there's one that stuck with me ever since you preached on it. Interruptible. You taught that we as Christians need to be willing to be interrupted by God in our daily lives and allow Him to use us to minister the gospel to people in the moment they need it most. And it's something that I've been trying to live out ever since. I'm not perfect. But I do my best to be obedient in those moments when the Lord nudges my heart and asks me, to let him interrupt my plans. Even when I'm really busy with the five million things on my to-do list. Sometimes it's small like listening to a friend, a colleague, or a student who needs a, a moment to talk to someone with a compassionate ear. Giving someone their favorite piece of candy because they're having a long, hard day. Or taking the time to pray with someone about the season they're in. Sometimes it's big. It's going with a friend to file a police report, sitting in the parking lot in the middle of the night, waiting on a friend, getting checked out at the ER just so she knows she's not alone. Or stopping to intervene when I see a small child running down the side of the road towards a busy gas station, parking lot, while on my way to a very busy day of work because there's no adult chasing after them. And sometimes it's in between. Today was one of those days that I, when I allowed the Lord to interrupt me. He used me to help someone in a powerful way and to get her the help she needed. I'm e emailing you not to toot my own horn, as we like to say in the South, but because this mindset of being interruptible really started to resonate with me, with me after you taught on it that Sunday. Coach Skoda reminded me that last week about the importance of promoting the good, which is why I wanted to write to you this email. I know that as a leader, sometimes you hear more about what you're doing wrong instead of what you're doing right. It's easy to get discouraged and ask yourself, am I doing any of this right? Is anything I'm saying doing and making a difference? And I just wanted you to know that it has. Because of what you taught me all of those years ago, the Lord has used me to help and to minister to many people. Many of these you'll never meet. But just know that because of your obedience to teach the gospel and what the Lord lays on your heart, countless lives have been touched and changed. Thank you for being obedient. Now, that's not about me. I want you to understand something. I was in, I was in the middle of formulating this message, and I was on the part about the church when that email popped up. Be obedient to the Lord.
in the moment. And let me just say this, church. Everybody look up here because you need to hear this. One of the things that has happened over these last few years has been a tendency toward having a hard, hardened heart and conscience. We as the church, while we must be vigilant to stand on principle, cannot stop loving, caring, reaching, praying, and being there for people and especially for those in the household of faith. We can't get hardened by all of this. I can't let my feelings toward things that I see out there affect my heart toward my family. And I'm talking about my ecclesia family, the body of Christ. And you know, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Have you noticed the lawlessness in our nation that, I mean, I'm talking about people that just on a normal basis are just, and they're decided, and they just decided, I'm not going, I don't have to obey the traffic laws anymore. Red lights mean nothing. Get out of my way. I'll pull out in front of you, and then, you know, and then if you toot at me after I pull out in front of you, I'll tell you you're number one. And you know what? Let me tell you what. And I believe this. Listen, maybe, I, maybe I'm psychological and maybe I... But I began to analyze. And I said, Lord, why is it that way? What's, what's going on? And I'm just going to tell you what I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And you're going to have to analyze it. And I have to guard against it too. He said, I'll tell you one of the things that's happened. People have gotten fed up with being told what they can and cannot do over the last few years. And this is their way of rebelling. You ain't telling me what to do anymore. And listen, I have felt that way too. We must. Listen, church, the Word says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. And there is a cold, hard world out there. But I got news for you. The gates of hell. The gates of hell. I said... The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And that's you and me. That's us. We are victorious. Don't you thank God for the church? Don't you thank God for the church family? Don't you thank God for your relationship with Him that brings you into relationship with each other? And so on behalf of Susan and myself, I want to say to all of you, we love you. We thank God for you. You are amazing. You are amazing. You're beautiful. You're precious. You're chosen. You're set apart. You're anointed. You're needed. You're wanted. You're loved. You're valued. It wouldn't be the same without you. And all of us, in all of our orneriness, and all of our things that we do, we need one another. 
And we cannot. Listen, the Bible is clear. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Watch this. And how many of you know that the, the end times are closer and closer and closer? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, even the more so as you see that day approaching. Let's, hallelujah. I got to stop. Praise God. Well, I'm going to be talking to you in the next few weeks about, is it, is it new covenant to tithe? Should I tithe? Should I not? Am I under? We're going to be talking about some of those things. And I know you're saying, how in the world do you get that out of Jonah? It's in there. Holy Spirit will show you. <clears throat> but uh, right now we're going to celebrate communion. So if you'll stand with me, take your communion cup in your hand. Somebody, if you will, go ahead and peel mine. <laughs> Sometimes they can be a little ornery. Have you noticed that? Now, again, if you were not here a few weeks ago when I taught on communion, I encourage you to listen to that. Yeah. Amen. That's all right. Take your time, brother. I got, I got some things to do first. But listen, everybody look up here real quick. I'm going to tell you something. And a lot of people think, well, communion is not that big a deal. Oh, it is. Yes, it is. It's a huge deal. Susan and I, now, yesterday we had to do it individually because we couldn't be together. We take communion every day. There are people in this church that for years have taken communion every day and their lives are blessed. And it, listen, it's not magic potion. It's not, oh, I'm just do this. No, it's because of where it puts you as you reflect on what it is that is taking place. And let me tell you something about communion, about taking communion that has changed my life. Yes, thank you. Thank you, my brothers. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you, precious people of God. You're so good. It'll help you immensely if you'll do something, I believe, that has helped me. I was telling Susan yesterday, and listen, thank God we can do it at church, but yesterday afternoon, it happened to be that when I had time to do it, it was about 2 o'clock, in the afternoon, Saturday afternoon. And I keep, I keep communion stuff in my truck. That's how important this is to me. I pulled into a parking lot of a Publix grocery store and just pulled all the way over in the far end. And I just sat there for a few minutes begin to think about Jesus. Just begin to think about Jesus. Just begin to meditate on my Savior. And then, as I got ready to partake of the communion, I visualized not just taking this and this and doing it, but I visualized Jesus serving me. sitting around that table with his disciples and he's, he's saying, Scotty, I want you to say your name. Say your name. Scotty, say it. Say your name. He's saying your name and then he's saying, this is my body 
looking for you. And he called you by name. He says, Al, my son, says my body, and it's broken. It's broken for you. Casey, my son, oh, my beloved son, You're not just a son or a daughter. You're a beloved son and daughter. You're mine. I call you by name. If you'll do that every time, it will change it for you. Because it becomes so very real and so very personal. Take the bread in your hand if you would, if you peeled it back yet. Everybody say, Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you and we remember all that you have done for us on the cross. Thank you for loving us so much. You gave up heaven for us. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken so that ours might be whole. As we partake, we receive your resurrection life, your health and strength. By your grace, we shall be completely strong and healthy all the days of our lives. Come on, church. Our eyes shall not grow dim, nor shall our strength be abated. No sickness can remain in our bodies because the same power that raised you from the grave flows through us. By your stripes, we are healed. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. He forgives all of our sins, all of our iniquities. Oh, He heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. And He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Can we say, thank you, Lord? We receive it. Oh, yes. Now take the cup. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your precious blood. Thank you for washing us clean of all of our sins. Let's do that again. Thank you for washing us clean of all of our sins. Now say this one strong. We stand before you completely righteous and forgiven. Your blood has redeemed us from every curse. And today, we can freely receive all the blessings 
that crowned the head of the righteous. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven, we are stronger, and we are healthier. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. On that night, Jesus said, not only is this my body which is broken for you, He said, this is my blood which is shed for you, which is the new covenant, the covenant of my grace. Everybody say grace. You need to thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. And thank God that because of Jesus, you and I are declared the righteousness of God in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Our past is forgiven. And our future is secure. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Let's partake together. Oh, let's worship. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast. If you would like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at life-church.org.